2: Since this episode is the last one of February, you may have guessed that the guest would be my once-a-month fellow podcast host. And today I'm stoked to share with you my conversation with Amanda Starling of Angry Girl Music of the indie rock Persuasion. If you're not familiar with the podcast, it's focused on intersectional feminism, highlighting and giving a platform to women, LGBTQIA+, and people of color within our music scene. If you're a fan of Fly on the Call, chances are you'll love Angry Girl as well, since it was one of the shows I really sought to draw influence from when I started this podcast. We've had a bunch of overlapping guests like Tiny Sills, Riverbee, A Day Without Love, and Baby Got Back Talk, as well as plenty of new friends for you to discover, like Nervous Dater and Pink Shift. So please enjoy this look at the passion and drive that goes into the creation of Amanda's show.
1: back from hiatus how does it feel to officially be be back at with angry girl
0: (laughs) it's good I was like super tired honestly after like kind of going non-stop throughout 2020 and then that recharge was exactly what I needed because I don't know if you've you probably go through this too you have those periods where it's just like man I'm just I don't know if what I'm doing is like Reaching or important, especially whenever music's kind of like in this quiet phase right now. So um, yeah, if anything, I was like, okay, I just need to take some time to just decompress and like reset. And that definitely did the trick where it was like, and I think I was also just waiting for like that one bit of art to just hit me in the right way. <laughs> for me to just be like, yeah, I'm I'm on fire, I'm motivated, I'm ready to do this. And that was actually cloth bound by the Sonderbombs. As soon as that record released, I'm like, okay, okay, I gotta do this. <laughs> it's goofy, but it's it's just sometimes you just need that little bit of inspiration. And that that was the one this year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. I feel like the fact that you, you know, do those kind of like yearly hiatuses, like, I love that because it made made me feel okay with like, you know, not having an episode every single week. How do you kind of like approach the, like the content creation side of Anchor Girl?
0: Oh my gosh. It's a whole process, honestly. Um, I mean, to kind of like start with the beginning, if you will, it's like when I, whenever I go to create an episode it's more so like I'm just so freaking excited about something that was either in my inbox or something that I found like on social media or just coming through playlists like an artist or something where I'm just like oh my god I love this it starts with that spark of like I'm in love with this music and then um I'm either writing back to somebody via email or social media, or I'm reaching out to somebody being like, Hey, we got to do this. Dude. <laughs> um, if you're interested, of course, I don't want to make it sound like a pressure folks, but like, you know, I get super enthusiastic about music and I'm, I, I try to express that as much as possible, but yeah. So I reach out or they reach out to me and um, there's a whole back and forth over email booking and whatnot. And then we do the thing we record and that's usually the most exciting part to me is actually just having that conversation with a creative and really getting into what it is that they do with their music. And, um, sometimes other aspects of them too. like I love finding out that my favorite artists are like big nerds too. Like I am, that's like my favorite thing. It's like, yes, we found our thing. And it makes you feel like you make like a human connection whenever you're able to talk about, um, something so personal. So I would say that's a huge part of it. And then, yeah, once we're done recording, I just kind of, uh, you know, start trying to bank as many as possible in the backlog, if you will. Um, I'll go through like probably about two to three weeks where I'm just recording probably about at least three to four nights out of the week. And then I've got enough for like about a month or two. So then it kind of makes it a little bit more digestible in a sense where it's like, okay, I can edit at my own pace. I can make sure that this is what I and the artist both want ultimately to be putting out there. So it's a lot of just kind of polishing from there, making sure I pick the songs that I feel really represent them. And then it's the sharing it out in the wild over social media. And that's always fun because I, you know, when you create something, you never know what kind of response you're going to get. I think that's something that as a podcast creator and just a creator in general, you don't really, you don't know how something is going to be received, uh, much like how musicians feel when they release new music, right? So I feel like there's always that kind of understanding of just like, okay, cool, let's see how this goes. And Um, I am always overwhelmed by the amount of positivity and excitement that kind of comes as a result, especially from the artist. Their opinion is the one that matters the most to me at the end of the day, because it's really about them, not me. So, yeah, whenever I see like really excited posts and stuff by like the person that came on the podcast, that's really what makes it for me. So I guess that's really from start to finish how that goes.
1: For sure. Yeah, I've been this is my. I think second week in a row of doing three nights a week, and I'm like, oh god, I'm I'm a little bit exhausted, but I've been I feel like I've been really like having some awesome conversations, so I'm excited about it as well. Uh, And it seems like you know something that you've been really trying to or are looking forward to growing is like the the blog side of Angry Girl. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? And you know, I mean the kind of really cool thing that you did recently is like the the mood board for clothbound, like you mentioned um can you talk a little bit about you know that side of things
0: sure um so long before i was a podcaster i was a writer um i've been writing since oh my gosh probably i was like five years old which sounds crazy but i wanted to be a journalist when i grew up that was like my dream job And um, so (laughs) it's funny, my first writing was actually in sports. My grandpa was a high school football coach up until he retired um, a couple of years ago. And so I saw news reporters every Friday night going out there to interview him about how the game went. Right. And so I had this instinct of like wanting to be able to kind of tell a story And it was also like me being like five years old and wanting to write my own newspaper at five years old. Very ambitious. Um, (laughs) I actually was also trying to get my grandpa's attention because what five year old does not want your grandparents' attention right as soon as they are immediately available. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I, I just I fell in love with writing through that process. And I quickly became interested in writing about things that I was passionate about I liked sports growing up but then I quickly found myself interested in creative things like I wanted to write about everything from my favorite fandoms in a little bit of fan fiction I'm not telling anybody where all that stuff is out there on the internet I'm sure it's somewhere but we're not we're not going to go on that adventure <laughs> but it was everything from like fan fiction to like contributing to like a uh, high school newspaper um I actually was a journalist at one point I wrote for my regional newspaper and worked as like an editorial assistant and stuff until um, I found that I needed to do something different. But I've always loved writing and I've always loved telling stories ultimately whether it was about um, like I said earlier like sports or um, I was really passionate about creative. So like I used to love being able to write about like the retiring music director for a local college or a teenager aspiring to be like a ballet dancer and stuff. And those are some of my favorite stories I wrote as like a journalist, right? And then whenever it was time for me to kind of figure out my next chapter of life, I knew I didn't want to let go of writing. So I sought out different blogs in my area and online. And that's kind of how I found my way into Um, writing for like The Alternative and ultimately um, starting Angry Girl Music. Like I started as a podcast, but I realized that I wanted to also be able to express my voice in the way that was most comfortable to me, which is writing. Um, And the mood board really came from the idea of wanting to kind of jog that creative energy that comes to writing. For me, I was trying to find the words and I think that a lot of creatives are trying to figure out how to keep going and be sustainable with their energy so I was trying to find that source of like fire to kind of keep going and um when I was looking into the new year and how I wanted to do things I was like well what's the thing that inspires me and gets me excited about music and I thought about how when I listen to records sometimes I have images that pop in my head or feelings that I associate with a record and such so um it's funny because I was listening to Clothbound, and I kind of just started getting these images in my head or these feelings that I was like, I need to express this somehow, and I don't have the words for it yet. But what if I could find pictures or take pictures or find gifts that really just expressed what I was feeling while listening to that record? So that's where the mood board came from—was me just kind of starting to do that and. Eventually, I think those are gonna lend to me being able to talk about that record in more depth. So it's kind of like a jumping off point. And I think it also in some ways makes the storytelling of the way you perceive a record actually even more um, accessible because some people are still figuring out how to be writers and they're still trying to find their voices, but sometimes it's, it's, it's the cliche of like a, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So find the pictures that match the words or the images that or the feelings that are inside you and kind of just express that through a mood board. So it's funny because I got that idea listening to that record and then it just kind of started launching a bunch of ideas inside of me. It's it's that finding that record that just inspires you and gets you really excited. And yeah, it just kind of all falls into place from there. I want to do more writing and I want to do more image-based stuff that just kind of demonstrates that writing and creativity is more accessible than I think a lot of us realize. We see all these big, long-winded articles or detailed articles that kind of um, can use language that makes people feel like you have to know about this genre or be an expert in this style of music that's very niche, right? Right. And when you do things that are image based or that convey a different type of storytelling, it's still valid and it's still rich and it can still mean something to an audience or even the musicians themselves. Like I was very happy that the Sondra bombs liked my mood board. I think that was like really validating and stuff. So I hope to do that with more records, you know. For sure. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And like hearing you talk about kind of like the way you found your way into that, like reminds me a lot of how I found my way into this podcast because like writing was, you know, kind of always my way of, you know, connecting to musicians and doing my small part to, you know, spread the word of the bands that I enjoyed. But then it just kind of, I would be really, I've noticed myself like really procrastinating. Like I'd interview a band and then I'd be like, you know, sitting on it for a month before I transcribed it. And then another couple of weeks before I wrote it into an article. And then I was like, you know, what's kind of like the the path of least resistance for me to do this, because this is the part that I enjoy the most. And, you know, it's been really fulfilling, you know, having the podcast and also kind of having that fire under my ass of like, you know, having a weekly episode and not just like, you know, oh, I'll write whenever, you know, whenever the inspiration strikes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, podcasting is so accessible in that sense, because it's like the medium itself, it kind of lets you just get your feelings across. And the same goes for whenever you have a podcast that's structured on having a guest, right? You're able to kind of tell their story and kind of um, present it in a way that means something to you. But it's something that you can kind of put together relatively easily. I mean... I I consider podcasting to be one of the most accessible forms of storytelling because, you know, you throw some music on it and there you go. That's it. You got it. (laughs) And you can just put it out there and stuff. There are a lot of really great free tools out there whenever it comes to editing, as well as being able to just push it to all the podcast apps that are out there. And um, yeah, it's a really great form of storytelling and it's something you can do like to where you build up to it. So when I first started Anger Girl Music, I actually um I did it monthly because I was still experimenting, I was still learning, and I was still trying to figure out if this was something that I was really that passionate about, right? Trying to see if it was something that would work and if it would mean something to folks, you know? And so I would do monthly episodes for probably, I think I did that, did that for the first like six episodes. And then I started doing every other week. And I slowly built it up by two things. One being um, me getting excited and inspired because I was so just, I, I felt like the people I was talking to, it meant something to them and it meant something to me to be able to talk about what it is that they created, right? And then to be able to go from there, I also started to realize that there were people who were interested in what what I was doing in a sense of like they were interested in hearing the stories of musicians who were not all straight white men you know they wanted to to kind of learn more so about the different experiences that folks have had whether it's creating the music releasing the music performing um and the things that get them excited about making things or even just excited in general with life. Sometimes I talk about some of the most amazing things that have nothing to do with music on the podcast. (laughs) So if anything, it's just uh, I didn't at the time when I started it, I didn't realize that that was something that folks wanted. And then for that to be something that just kind of grew with it. I think that was just really motivating in a sense within probably the first uh, year I started getting a lot more emails in my inbox of just different artists who were out there and were looking for the platform. And that's really what I was trying to do from the very beginning is give a platform. I had a lot of feelings about being like a non-white person in music, about being a woman in music. And that was as a participant that was not a musician. And I knew that I needed to not just give myself a voice, but um, also give other people that platform and that voice. To me, it, it's always been more so about giving somebody else the opportunity to speak about the things that are important to them because um, the things are tremendously better in 2021 than it was five years ago when I started this. It's still we I'm still blown away by the fact that I still hear a lot of the same stories or similar stories, I should say, in that time period. And so to me, it just is sometimes a reminder that we still need to give platforms to folks, we still need to keep bringing them up to where they get equal coverage, they get um, the ability to speak what's important to them that maybe not every outlet will give them. So it's, uh yeah, it's it's wild. <laughs> the journey this pod has been on. <laughs>
1: For sure, yeah. I mean, I I think I've said it to you before specifically, like your pod is one of the ones that was kind of like an initial inspiration for this one. Like in literally the very first notes that I made about like what I want this to be, like I was like, you know, I'm not going to have more than, you know, two episodes in a row of bands that are made up of all straight white men. And I'm curious, kind of like, what were some of your experiences in the music scene before that, that kind of like led you to wanting to have, like center your podcast around that?
0: Um, you know, it would be situations where, um, how do I put this? Whenever I would go to shows just on a basic level, it would be situations where there were obviously assumptions about who do you know? Are you dating somebody in the band? For example, whenever I would talk to my friends who are in bands after the show or whatever, whatever, you know, there were those kinds of assumptions. There were situations where whenever I was participating in music journalism, when I first kind of started out in that, I didn't feel like my voice is being acknowledged at all when it came to any kind of decision making or, um, you know, whenever I would bring up issues around inclusivity and stuff, it would just be kind of brushed off. And that's just more so my direct experiences. I've I consider myself very fortunate that I've made the friends that I have over the years who participate in music in different ways, whether they are people who are tour managers, um, booking agents, um, folks who obviously write and perform music and stuff. And because I've built up those different friendships over time, I've heard the stories of what folks have gone through as not straight white people in music you know whether it's being questioned about knowing their gear or um you know just harassment in general and uh just not being taken seriously i think that's probably the worst thing that i've heard about ultimately is that you know somehow because of your identity or because of so many factors that are beyond your control as a human being you know and so ultimately uh compounded with my experiences that i had had as well as um those that had been shared with me on a personal level i had conversations with different people over time saying we need a platform don't we, we like we need to talk about this and i've received some encouragement from some really wonderful people um our friend erica clayton who played in a number of different bands um she and I talked pretty extensively about that stuff, and she told me she's like, "You should do this." When I would tell her about the idea for the podcast, so um, I always credit her as somebody who really helped motivate me in getting started because um, she really opened up and shared so much about um, her experiences in music and how she's grown, and not just the things that are difficult to talk about, but also the joy of being a musician and the joy of being somebody who is just passionate about creating. So it's not just, you know, the negative things that happen when you are developing as a creative in the independent music community, but it's also um, the accomplishments and the successes. And I felt like in particular in that time period, those were not being celebrated enough for people of color, for LGBT folks, for, for, for women. Honestly, it just was a situation where we didn't have a space to celebrate accomplishments and successes in the ways that I see I've seen happen and grow. Uh, you know, over time, I I was very happy to learn that there were more platforms out there doing that. Like uh, when I connected with Lauren, who was running the Gray Estates, or I remember being so ecstatic whenever I first met Jamie Coletta. Um, this was before No bed started. And kind of just starting to see that we do have a place in this community that we can all create and celebrate and give each other voices, whether it's in situations of um, struggle or accomplishment, we we can have that solidarity in that space. And so that was kind of like a huge driver for me was just kind of connecting all that and then ultimately creating a space where folks could just have and be themselves ultimately.
1: Yeah, that's definitely something that like I love about the podcast is that it like it gives people a space to, you know, use however they see fit. You know, like it's kind of ultimately bound by, you know, the their identity, but it's not like that defines them solely or like the, the struggles. Those aren't solely what, you know, what you talk about.
0: Yeah. And I let people decide if they want to talk about anything And I I actually make a point that before we even hit the record button to ask folks, what do you want to talk about? What do you want me to make sure we bring up in this conversation? Where are you feeling today? And, um, you know, it's typically awesome, exciting stuff where it's like, yeah, I'm releasing a single soon. I want to get people excited about that. That's usually like the kind of answer or I can drop a hint about this cool thing, but you know, I just want to give the opportunity for folks to really drive things and try to make it a space that makes them feel comfortable. And ultimately they are representing themselves in the way that makes them feel the most proud and the most joyful and the most themselves. Because uh, I feel like a lot of times just speaking to different folks over, over the years, it's like, you know, I felt, I felt like they can't really convey who they fully are in like an article on a blog, you know, it's really hard to really properly transcribe and demonstrate who this person really is and like all their emotions and feelings behind what it that is they've created. And, um, even beyond that, who they are outside of the creation. Right. So with, with the pod, I really just try to make sure that it's like the best representation of that person or those people, if it's a, like more than one that's on at the same time, you know, because, It's a snapshot and it's the internet. It's out there forever. So you want it to really be something that you're proud of ultimately, because I don't see the podcast ever as something that I own or that's my creation. It's really at the end of the day, something that's community driven. Every person volunteers their time to be on and talk and share themselves. So it's like, it's beyond me. So I want to make sure that it's. it's valuable to them and it's something that reflects who they are for
1: sure. Yeah. I always joke that if if I could, I would edit myself out of the podcast. Yes, <laughs> I'd Literally just be the people talking.
0: <laughs> I am very tempted during the editing process to like just crop whole bits where I feel like I sound like the awkward nerd I really am. Um, <laughs> any point that I'm just stumbling or I'm just kind of like, Oh god, that's rough. Why did I say that? But I've had those moments where I've been so anxious about somebody that I deeply admire being on the podcast and I'll sit there and I'll beat myself up after and be like, "Oh my gosh, how did I talk to them that way? Wait, that's that was awful. Did that was that even good?" And then I'll go back, "Here's the here's the secret. Sleep on it. <laughs> Don't go and edit right away. Sleep on it at least for a night. If you can give yourself a week, it's even better. Um, uh, cause I went back and listened to one of the episodes right before I released it of, uh, an interview that I was like, oh my God, I was so painfully awkward. That poor person had to put up with me for like an hour. And then it was like, oh no, it actually sounded pretty good. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I don't, I have mixed feelings about the sound of my own voice and I don't think I'll ever be fully comfortable with it, but I I guess that's just part of being a person and (laughs) I know musicians who feel the same way. So I know it's not just like limited to me. It's, it's a very universal experience too. Like you said.
1: (laughs) Yeah. and I mean, I guess kind of going back a little bit further pre-podcast, like what was kind of your musical origin story? Like how did you kind of fall in love with music and what were some of those, you know, first defining moments for you musically?
0: Oh gosh. I'm trying to think. Well, I'm a child of the 90s, very much a millennial. Um, <laughs> so I grew up remembering to be in love with songs like uh what was it? And I hope hopefully I don't butcher this. It's Truly Madly Deeply but I think it was Savage Garden. I was obsessed with that song as a small child. I was like in kindergarten, like singing that song at the top of my lungs with my mom. And she was a big fan of like 90s pop. My stepdad um introduced me to um. Everything 80s. Like I literally drove to school with him every day listening to the best of the 80s station. And it was great because I think that's what really ultimately formed my taste um, of like rock, metal, even like RB and stuff, right? And uh I remember the first band I was obsessed with was Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> My favorite was Huey Lewis and the News. That was my mom's favorite too. She was very influential. I don't think she realizes that she was the one who actually probably sparked my love of music. But yeah, I loved Huey Lewis and the News. That was actually my first concert. I think I was probably in like kindergarten or first grade, actually. They took me to like an outdoor festival where it was like, you know, the kids didn't have to be too close to the stage or whatever. So Um, I think I've seen Huey at least like probably five times over the years. My parents went like maybe with me four or five years ago to go see him at like a local theme park. It was awesome. (laughs) So that was probably like the childhood side of things. Um, My grandpa introduced me to a lot of actually um, like country music, particularly like 90s country. You think like uh, George Strait, Books and Dunn. Shania Twain, even though she, she veered, she walked that beautiful line of country and pop. That was fantastic. Um, Faith Hill, Dixie Chicks, or now the Chicks, I should say um, those kind of things. So it was like, there was so much variety going on, but I would say as far as like the music that I consume today, it all launched from a moment of discovering pop punk in middle school. So thinking of like the Sayosa the Taking Back Sunday, um that kind of style stuff and then uh also starting to watch the show that I feel like ultimately shaped my music taste was definitely One Tree Hill I'm actually planning a write-up of um basically what I think each of the characters who they would pick to sign to the in-show record label Red Bedroom Records that's how obsessed I am with One Tree Hill I still watch it annually like that's how obsessed I am but that's like the show that introduced me to like Jack's Mannequin, Fall Out Boy, Um, I remember seeing Angels and Airwaves on there, and just being, like, smitten with the idea of live music, because it's funny, it's very much obviously commercialized because it's for television, but, like, one of the main characters, Peyton Sawyer, she was booking DIY shows at, like, a bar and having, like, tea nights, basically, this wild, kind of was so formative for me and I didn't even realize it because I got into DIY when I was in college, but like, I feel like there were um, signs that I was heading in this direction <laughs> just as a teenager watching this show. And it's funny because a couple years ago when I was doing my annual rewatch, I noticed some things. Cause there's like a record store in like the early se- seasons that sometimes the characters would go to. And like, I spotted a sticker for like small Brown bike in the background. I'm like, Oh my God, I listened to small Brown bike now. I'm like, was that a thing that was just like subliminally planted in my brain? Like, how did that happen? <laughs> but there were a lot of things that I think ultimately shaped me. I started going to local shows because, um, the person I was dating at the time was really into, um, just independent music and um i joke sometimes uh i think i learned to love the music in my community more and so i just eventually just kept going to shows nonstop and that's when i started seeing a ton of bands that were ultimately like super formative for me like um i remember seeing like modern baseball in a warehouse in tampa like behind a skate park <laughs> and like experiencing like hayatana in tampa and i'm trying to think of there were so many. I mean, being a Florida kid, I got to experience so many great bands that I feel like are kind of um, celebrated in independent music now. Like, um, you blew it. They're in Orlando. That's like two hours from me. I got to see a lot of them, fortunately, when they were active. And I think ultimately, I started to realize the more DIY, the more I was obsessed. I've made so many friends. Um and independent music throughout Florida, um, just by going to shows and um trying to break past my introvert barrier and um introducing myself. Like, I mean, one of my favorite Florida bands is Woolbright and um Expert Timing. And these are all people that I just slowly met by going to gigs. And it's interesting because these are a lot of the people that have encouraged me to keep going with this podcast ultimately. Um, like Katrina and expert timing, I consider her to be a really good friend. And like, she's been somebody who's been in my corner for a long time. She helped me out with getting excited and motivated, but doing like my first ever live show. And so it's kind of cool how all that kind of eventually stems together and flows together and has like shaped me, not just as somebody as, who's a creative, but ultimately as a person. So it's, it's wild how that all kind of fumbles in together. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was actually going to ask you about the the live show. I'm curious, like, tell me, can you tell me about that experience, you know, doing the live panel at Fest?
0: Oh my gosh. Let me time travel here for a second. Um, I remember, um, I wrote to Tony basically just pitching it because I had heard that there were podcasts at Fest that the previous year and that they would be possibly doing it again this, that year, I should say. And so, um, I wrote i wrote him an email and i remember i was out at my car for lunch from my job and i got the email back that i got it and i remember just like screaming and crying because obviously excitement the fact that i was going to get this really incredible once in a lifetime opportunity but also maybe a little bit of terror of like oh my gosh now i have to figure out how to plan a live show And I quickly realized that the only way I was going to be successful doing it is if I gathered people that I knew would be just as excited and just as passionate and ultimately um, supportive (laughs) because I don't I don't feel like I have a stage presence. The last time before that that I'd ever been on a stage was literally in my middle school play and I barely got through that. Um, so if anything, I was like, oh my God, wait, I'm going to have to do this in front of people. I'm used to doing this by myself in my like, uh, spare room and just kind of, um, talking to one other person. (laughs) It's very different when there's a group of people who are actually listening to what you're doing. Yeah. I wrote to V from gutless and, um, Katrina from expert timing and Carly from slingshot Dakota. And just told them, like, hey, I got this cool gig. If the times work out, do you want to come do this with me? And they all agreed, like, pretty much within minutes. It was fantastic. And I remember just feeling this kind of sense of relief, knowing that my friends would be up there doing it with me. And I remember, actually, Carly and Katrina each grabbing at some point before it started just being like, listen, we've got you. This is going to be great. Just be yourself. And this is going to be fun. And I just remember needing to hear that because <laughs> it's it's very different doing it in front of people. It was also so satisfying and overwhelming because, you know, my friends turned out and I had a full room. And I don't mean that as a flex. It was just like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe people actually showed up to this and like want to see this happen. And I just remember feeling so nervous but also so grateful that enough people cared to kind of like you know not be at band sets that year at fest to come watch us talk about things that were important to us in music and like really dig into just beautiful aspects of not just fest but just who we are as people and kind of having it almost as like a partial panel was really fun because I got to kind of give everybody like 10 minutes of spotlight to kind of like focus in on them. And then we kind of talked together and that was just, it was really special. Um, I hope to do something like that again someday. Cause uh, it, it meant the world to do that with people that I care so deeply about that um, do so much within the music community, but also to do that on a stage that I think hopefully impacted a couple people in that crowd that day. And I remember trying not to cry when it was over because it was like, I just having all my friends right there um, cheering us all on was just really special. And yeah, I mean, I'm hoping maybe when the pandemic is over to be able to do something at least similar within like my local scene or like, I don't know, maybe Fest will have me back someday, but <laughs> it would be, it would be amazing. It was just super special. And I couldn't be more grateful to my friends for being a part of that with me.
1: Yeah. I I think we got to do a pod fest. We got to get me, you, punk lotto, emo trash, generation GC, all those. (laughs) I would love that so much. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I would travel for something like that. If we've like found a venue to do something like that, you know, (laughs) that would be fun.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And it's funny that you mentioned that One Tree Hill piece that you're working on, because I was going to ask, you've mentioned your geekdom a couple times this podcast, Uh, top three Star Wars movies and a theme song to replace the opening credits.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Scott, here's the problem with telling you my top three Star Wars movies. They rotate. They literally rotate on a daily basis. I mean, the only one that I can say 100% stands in the number one spot is The Last Jedi. That is my favorite by far. Um, I think it's literally the hidden art film of the saga with just how rich the storytelling is and everything from the cinematography to what the messaging is within it is just gorgeous. So, I mean, that's number one. The other two, though, are going to be subjective it literally can change from day to day. I mean, I'm going to go with controversial t- picks just to, just to mess with everybody. Because literally the other day I was thinking, you know what would be fun? Let's watch Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because it's so ridiculous. I mean, I love the prequels. I grew up on them. And I love the absurdity, but also the heavy-handed you will listen to me talk about politics that George Lucas just rips into within the prequels, but also like the absurd cheesy romance and all of it. So probably I would say last Jedi attack of the clones. And and this is in no particular order, by the way, they shift. And I would say empire strikes back for sure. That's, that was my favorite until the last Jedi arrived. So we'll, we'll go with those three today. I let, it's funny because I actually just picked middle chapters of all three trilogies, which I I just literally realized I was saying that. I love, I love a dark middle chapter. <laughs> but oh gosh, replace the theme in one of them. Oh okay, okay. I think I have the answer to this actually. Um, and this is gonna tell you all a lot about me. I would say I would replace the theme for The Last Jedi with Young Enough by Charlie Bliss. And here's why. Charlie Bliss is young enough is what made me a Raylo. Is I feel like that song really unpacks from my perspective, the struggle of caring so deeply about somebody, but also knowing that it can be toxic for you. And I feel like that is so much a part of the premise of The Last Jedi is kind of trying to reach and connect to somebody, but also knowing that they aren't in a great place, like the way that Kylo Ren was and realizing you kind of have to let go and let them figure themselves out (laughs) um, before you can kind of make a healthy connection ultimately so yeah I thought that question was going to be a lot harder to answer than it was
1: (laughs) (laughs) nice I I knew you'd pull it out
0: (laughs) Star Wars I can always deliver when it comes to Star Wars (laughs) I don't mean to but I mean, it's funny because that's probably my second. Uh, no, that's my longest running fandom. Music is actually my second longest running fandom, and I, I treat music as a fandom. Maybe I hope that comes across to some extent for some folks who like either follow me on social media or listen to my podcast. Because uh, I I love things probably a little too intensely whenever it comes to creative stuff. So yeah, Star Wars and music are the two great loves of my life. So I can always. I can always deliver on those too. <laughs>
1: and I'm curious um something that I find so fascinating about like the Star Wars fandom is like all the fan edits which it, <laughs> it, in the last year I've been like also super into Fish on the Grateful Dead mostly nice. because of like their weird fandom like archiving stuff. And <laughs> I'm curious are are you like into that that side of things as well?
0: Uh not really when it comes to fan edits because I think a lot of people, unfortunately, with fan edits, that generally has been to the detriment of the prequels where they'll just cut whole sections of movies. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, I get it. You didn't vibe with it, but it's still important. And like, this is me going down a geeky, um, geeky rabbit hole. So please stop me if I start rambling too much. But like, the thing is, is the things that you don't expect to connect with within Star Wars they end up revealing as being something either super important or super meaningful that you don't, you don't think of it in that moment, but something happens within that whole world that ultimately shifts it. Like there's a throwaway line, or at least it'd be, it used to be a throwaway line within the Phantom Menace where Padme and her handmaidens are deciding ultimately if they are going to leave Naboo during the trade Federation invasion. And basically you don't know this when the movie first came out or the first time you watch it. If you don't have this information, it won't mean much. We're basically um, the decoy handmaiden basically asks Padme if they should go. And Padme has to coded say, we are brave, your highness, to indicate that she gives permission for them to flee and try to escape the blockade. Now, this is a code that the handmaidens came up with as a way to... able to say this stuff to each other without outright saying it and revealing that in fact one of them is a decoy and that was revealed within a novel that just came out like two years ago that's all about like padme and her james bond basically handmaidens they're all incredible and super talented and can all kick our butts ultimately (laughs) they're they are way more powerful than that movie would ever be able to really show on screen but you know that because of a piece of dialogue that was taken from that movie and put into this really rich and emotional book, um, that I, I get, I get emotional, even talking about, um, called, um, Queen's shadow. And so because of that, I don't believe in fan edits because I'm like that thing is going to mean something to you at some point. You don't know it now, but it will. Um, but on the, on the same, on the same note though, I do love fan videos. Um, like, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar. I would assume so because I know I've heard you talk about anime on your on here. But AMVs, like when it's set when you take music and you set it to like your favorite anime with different scenes and stuff. I love AMVs. And um I've seen those for multiple fandoms including Star Wars and I love those. Um anything that c- it's like a compilation almost like of scenes or key moments or whatever. That stuff is is great. I I have another podcast I started for Star Wars, actually, with one of my friends. And um, one of the things that I insisted on doing for her Valentine's episode is basically do a compilation of all these like love professions throughout Star Wars. So that was like my opportunity to do like an audio fan edit. (laughs) And that was so much fun. And now I'm like, oh, no, is this going to become like my other hobby? So (laughs) it depends on the context of the fan. edit. I guess that's the short answer.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I approach them kind of in the same way that I approach like albums versus playlists where I'm like, the album is the way the artist wants you to, you know, experience it. And then playlists are are fun if you want a different perspective.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah. Because sometimes like with playlists, you end up with stuff that has really fun and quirky theming. (laughs) Especially it feels like in these days, people pick like the most random thing to just kind of riff off of. And one of my favorite things that came out like probably about four or five years ago was people were making playlists around characters in like stories and stuff and like I thought that was something that was really fun because you take music that's well outside of like that stories realm like you think Star Wars you think orchestral music well for me I sometimes have songs that ultimately reveal different things like Charlie Bliss like I mentioned earlier was like the weird thing that actually connected the dots for me for some Star Wars stuff, and it's like their music had nothing to do with Star Wars, though they were on the Star Wars show once. That's actually one of the ways I got into Charlie Bliss was they were just like random guests on the Star Wars show, which is like a YouTube channel, which is fantastic. Um, don't know how they got that gig, but I love it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the fun thing is is like with playlists, you can sometimes experience music in different ways and like unlock different things that you didn't hear the first time because maybe it's in the context of a song by another artist or it's like in the context of now you're thinking about this mood or this character or this story or whatever and it's fun to find different ways to kind of explore music and get new interpretations of
1: it. I mean you always ask about dream lineups you always ask your guests Uh, so I'm curious what what are your dream you know your dream live podcast lineup or your dream guests that, you know, what kind of energy do you want to put out into the world for that for 2021?
0: Oh gosh. See for 2021, that's trickier. Cause <laughs> that one, I feel like I have to still kind of aim a little bit within reason, but uh, I've always wanted to talk to Francis Quinlan, of pop along. I feel like that would be somebody who would just probably blow my mind with some really interesting perspectives on music. Um, Large and Grace has always been on my list too. And then see here, I would say maybe Lizzo. Lizzo would be fun. I feel like I would just have a great time just laughing with Lizzo. (laughs) That's really all I want to do. I love following her on TikTok. I feel like that's one of my corners of sunshine. And so like, if anything, um, yeah, I'd want to do like maybe some recipe swaps with Lizzo.
1: That sounds like it could be like a podcast series in itself laughing with Lizzo.
0: I would love that. Honestly, if I could get like to where I'm friends with Lizzo and could do that regularly, that would be fantastic. I, I, yeah, if anything, I'm always trying to come up with like new ideas for segments. At one point I was very much tempted by my friends in um, and perennial to do a like side Podcast for Angry Girl Music where I just bring on people and we just talk about Star Wars. So I mean, I'm not saying it it won't happen, but if I have too much time on my hands, there's a chance it could.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and no one better than perennial to start with, probably.
0: <laughs> yes. Honestly, I I love them so much for their love of BB8 and Rose Tico. That was whenever they said those names to me, I was just kind of like, oh my God, y'all get me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then, I mean, I always like to wrap up my episodes the same way, which is by asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, whether it's podcast related, music related, or just life in general.
0: Okay. Um, So I would say my advice to folks might be just embrace yourself and stop caring what other people think of you. I came to that realization over the last year or so that. I just want to be unapologetically a big nerd and just love things without any concern of folks thinking that I'm weird or that I'm awkward or that I am just not going to vibe with them or whatever. Um, And I feel like it takes forever to make I feel like for a lot of us and some of us don't ever reach that point of just like fully embracing ourselves for who we are and what we love um and if what you love doesn't harm anybody then love it without question without hesitation um you know I spent so many years particularly growing up feeling like I had to hide that I was a big nerd or like I had to hide that I was passionate about subcultures or anything along those lines and I think that when you have the right people around you to kind of um, kind of encourage you to be yourself and be that awkward, big nerd, um, you love yourself more and you embrace yourself more and you're motivated to either create or just do or just be even just simply existing. You find that motivation when you embrace yourself and you surround yourself with people who ultimately love and embrace you and support you. So yeah, just <laughs> to quote my friend, Tyler Holland, he used to say this all the time, love yourself, <laughs> I said, love yourself. Um, he used to say that on a podcast that we used to do together. So i I guess that's maybe the short end of that advice. It's just, Embrace yourself, love yourself. It's not easy to do that every day. You're going to have days where you can't, and that's okay. Just take your time, drink water, <laughs> breathe. It's not easy existing, but if you have the right people around you and you love things deeply and without hesitation, it's a little bit easier. So I guess that's probably my advice.
1: And it's never been easier to find your people since the entire age.
0: <laughs> yes. No kidding. Honestly grateful for everything that has led up to that. The, even the early social media, God, Neopets. That was that <laughs> oh, yeah. that was how I first found my people.
1: <laughs> yeah. And- I, I was legit, I was a uh, part of like this book series called Strict Do Freak. I was like, uh in a Neopets group about fans for that. And I was like, it's so weird reflecting on that, like that being the earliest kind of like form of like fandom for me.
0: It was such a good fandom. I remember I collected like all these plush, it was stupid. And then like I actually would go on their chat boards, much to my mom's very much displeasure and I would literally like RPG other fandoms on there with different folks it was fun we talked Pirates of the Caribbean we talked Star Wars and we talked Neopets it was everything everything your little geek cart could ever want or need and it's kind of cool that as an adult whether it's on like Twitter or Instagram or even TikTok you those communities are still very much alive and well and we can find them as adults and You know, you can connect with people who embrace you from who live in Chicago, who live in New York, who live in Australia or Japan or whatever. It's really cool that, you know, it's we can connect in this way and we can find the spaces that embrace us. So I don't know. I just, I I like that we have spaces like Fly on the Call and um, Angry Girl Music and The Alternative and so many other spaces that just let people feel a little bit more embraced.
2: I've been super busy recording a whole bunch of episodes since the beginning of the year, and feel like I've really hit a sweet spot where I've had so many great conversations lately. This was definitely one that fell into that category, so I hope you enjoyed it, and will go check out Angry Girl Music if you aren't already subscribed. The five-year anniversary of the pod is coming up, so be sure to keep your eyes peeled for the celebrations Amanda has in store. Flying the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at flyinthecallpod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyinthecallpod at gmail.com. Share your platform, pass the mic, find your community.